looked at uh, uh, the command that Jesus gave to his disciples there in the upper room that night before he would be uh, betrayed, falsely tried, and then executed the next day. One of the first things he said to his disciples uh, is a new commandment I give to you. So in John 13, verse 34, 35, what is the new commandment that he gives? And it's this, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should love each other in the same way that I've loved you. He goes on to say later that it's by this kind of love that all people will know that you're my disciples. And so from that particular command to love one another, as we move through the rest of the New Testament in the letters that Paul writes and Peter writes and John writes, uh, we see all of these other one another commands like serve one another or honor one another, pray for one another. Um, all of those commands that we find, they, they find their roots in Jesus' command to love one another. And so we went through many of those last week. If you weren't able to be here, I encourage you to go online, uh, look at those. But we, uh, we walked through several of those commands that we find throughout the New Testament. And uh, came to this conclusion in the end, though. If, if we're going to truly obey those commands, if we're going to truly follow Jesus in loving one another... We have to know each other. Because we can't pray for people we don't really know. I can't pray effectively if I don't know what's going on in your life. I can't give honor to you. I can't, as we read earlier, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice if I don't know what to weep about and I don't know what to rejoice in. And so the, the focus of last week, and we're going to continue that this week, is this need that we have, and it's not just limited to, to this particular church, this is a struggle in all churches, is this ability to know the people who are sitting across the aisle from you, to know their name, uh, to know their circumstances in life. And so last week we started into this nine-step plan that Ed Welch presents in his book, Side by Side. And we're just, we're taking that. You have that on your bulletin this morning. And last week we worked through the first two of those particular steps. And the first one was this, remember that we have the Spirit. Now the importance of that one was this, because when we start talking about uh, talking to people that you don't know and introducing yourself... Uh, some of us get a little scared. That, that's not what we like to do. But what we're reminded of is this, that it's not you who's doing it. It's not in your power, and it's not in your personality, but it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we all have. The Spirit longs to produce that kind of love and that kind of fellowship. And we have that in common. We do not do this alone. Don't try to do it alone. Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. From there we looked at the second step in the plan, and that was this, that we move towards and we greet each other. So in the same way that, that Jesus left heaven and moved towards us, he calls us to move towards each other in expressions of agape, self-sacrificing kind of love. We move towards each other. That means that we have to get up and we have to move across the room and shake somebody's hand, introduce ourselves, and do that task of greeting one another. One of the things that I mentioned last week is just a goal, is, is come here every week uh, with the objective in mind that I want, to, I want to greet someone today that I don't know very well. Maybe I don't know their name at all. Or I know their name, but I don't know some of the circumstances of their life. And so my objective today is to greet people, but specifically I want to greet somebody that I don't know very well. And so some of the things we talked about were maybe sit in a different spot. Uh, you know, be here early, show up late, or, or stick around late. Show up late, yeah. <laughs> show up late. Some of you nailed it. You're like, amen, I did it. I got it. Showed up late. Preach it, yes. Stick around late. Uh, all of those things that we can do. And I noticed that, that many of you are sitting in different spots today. And so there's, a, there's another advantage to that I thought of. I was like, you know, if there's a certain point in the sermon that I wrote for you, 
And if I look to where you normally sit and you're not there, then you're not going to get that full conviction you know, that I'm trying to portray to you because I'll be like, wait, where are they at? I want to look at them. So, so we want to move towards each other. So now we're going to move on through the rest of these steps today and we're going to think through this. And, and I want to just reiterate uh, that uh, this, is, this is how we grow. These are things that don't come natural to everybody. For some people, these things do come natural. It's just a part of the gifting that God's given them. And for others, it's a, it's a struggle. And, and so don't, don't feel bad that these are not things you're doing. Recognize that these are things that you can grow in by the work of the Spirit in your life. And so we move from greeting each other to number three, having thoughtful conversations. Uh, my wife recently pointed out uh, how empty most of our greetings and, and questions in the initial truly are. You know, we say, we say hi to people, and oftentimes now that hi is just, how are you? And then before we're even saying you, we're kind of moving along without ever waiting for an answer. And then the responses that we get are, are I'm good or I'm okay, but we never really stop with sincerity to think through how are they really doing and take it that far. When they say, I'm good, maybe a better thing to do would be ask, well, well why are you good? Or, or why was it a good week? I did this sometimes with my kids, and I did this the other day with Jetson. He was run up the stairs after school. I'm like, Jetson, how was your day? It was good. Why was it good? We had PE. <laughs> and he said, there's a new kid in our class. <laughs> and so we, I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Uh, and so he, he gives me answers as to why the day was good. What about it was good for him? You can ask other questions. Are, are you new here? You know, don't, don't feel bad about that. You may get a little embarrassed when they say, no, I've been, I've been here for like two years or something like that. That's okay, though. At least you'll know and you'll never forget again uh, that they've been here a while. How long have you lived in the area? Are you married? Do you have kids? What kind of work do you do? Uh, what are you doing for the holidays? What's new in your life? And recognize that all of these are still pretty superficial questions, right? These are still real surface level style questions, but, but until we uh, reach that common ground in, in understanding who a person is, we can't really go deeper. We need to gain an understanding of who people are, and we're making friends and making bonds with brothers and sisters in Christ. Make the goal go this. We're going to take it a little further this week. It's not just that you're going to come here uh, with, the, with the desire to get to know a person you don't know well. You're going to leave here with two or three prayer requests because you've learned something about two or three people in the circumstances of their life that you can pray for that week through conversation. Uh, if, if, if you had conversations over the last couple weeks, some of the things uh, that you could have learned, even this last week, uh, Dustin, uh, wherever he is, see, see, hey, I, he's right, he's always right there, he's way back there. Dustin was traveling to meet some of his new employees, some of the people that are under him this week, and he was praying that God would give grace. I knew that through conversation that I had with him. Aaron had a procedure this week. If you were to ask Elena a couple weeks ago, hey, what can I pray for you? She would have said, got some issues going on at work. And you ask Richie, Richie would say, my wife's got some issues going on at work. <laughs> And they, they, you, you would know, hey, here's some specific burdens. Here's some specific things that I can be praying for with these people. I love what Welch says on this. He says, once we pray with or, or for someone, we are, we are in the ongoing story of his or her life. And it's an honor to be there. Once we begin praying for somebody, we're doing that thing of being members one of another. We're a part of what's going on in their life. And here's the beautiful thing of that. Your next conversation has already started. Because you can come back that next week and say, hey, I just want you to know, I prayed for you a couple of times this week, and how are things going? And follow up with that. And you can continue that ongoing conversation. Step four. See the good and enjoy one another. See the good and enjoy one another. Once we enter into the story or enter into somebody else's life and we begin to get to know them, one of the first things you're going to recognize is, man, their life is messy. And that's no different than yours because your life is messy too. 
But our tendency when we recognize that, and it, it, I'm not just saying that their life is messy because of sin, that's a part of it, but it may be messy because of just the busyness and the, the circumstances and the trials that are in their life. And, and you're going to look at that, and our tendency when we begin to, to build those relationships is we're going to focus all of our attention on the mess. Right? We're gonna, when I go into my boys' room, the, the little boys' room, I, I do not see the cool Lego creations on the table. I see the Legos everywhere, right? And I'm looking at the mess, not, not the good thing that's there in the middle. And we have to, to focus in as we're looking into their life on the good things that God is doing in their life. Where is the Spirit at work in this person? Where is fruit being produced in this person? Where has God gifted this person? And how are they loving and serving other people? What are they passionate about? What are the things in life that bring them pleasure? Uh, what are the, the Scriptures that they've been reading this week that have been a challenge to them? What did they get from the, the sermon or the lesson that we, we heard together last week? We're, we're engaging and looking for those good, wonderful things that God is doing in their life. And these kinds of discoveries, when we make them, man, they fill us with such joy. It's a beautiful thing. You, you leave those conversations thinking, God, thank you. Thank you for being able to see these wonderful things that, that you're doing in the people's lives around me. I, I, don't, I don't mean to exclude anybody uh, by, by what I'm about to say, but you know, there's, there's some, some guys that are relatively new here that, that I've just, it's been a joy to get to sit and have conversations with them. Nathan Miracle's not here today, but, but me and Nathan, man, we're, we're like spit out the same movie quote at the same time in conversations. And I think, oh no, <laughs> we need to be separated. This is not good. It's not healthy for the church. I love, I've loved sitting with, with a couple of guys, Andrew Purvis, Jeremy Turner. I've gotten to sit with them for just extended periods of time and have conversations. And it, it's been those times where we're like, oh my goodness, we've been sitting here for three hours just talking about life. And I always leave those times just filled with such joy as I think about what God's doing. So we see the good and we enjoy one another. I hope, I hope you get what I'm saying there. I hope you've had those experiences. And if you haven't, I challenge you in faith, put yourself out there to, to have those extended conversations so that you can experience that joy that's meant to be there. Because we have not jobs in common, not ethnicity in common or politics in common. We have Jesus in common. And that's the joy that we find. Number five, walk together and tell stories. In time, uh, as we have more time, more conversation, you want to you wanna hear their stories. It's not just a how are you how was your week? It's how was the doctor's appointment this week? Or how did your visit go with your sister this week? We, we want to hear those stories. And if you, if you want to go big, then you ask the story of all stories and say, hey, tell me about how you, how you came to Christ, how he worked in your life. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear about who was involved and what passages of Scripture and, and the circumstances. And, and that's the greatest story you can have them share with you. I like to ask people uh, if it's couples how they met. It's usually there's a lot of fun things that go with that. And you can hear a lot of fun details and laugh with them or at them in those circumstances. We're asking questions. Uh, one of the things I have to be careful of here, and I think we, we all can have this tendency, I know I certainly see it in myself, is while we're listening to their story, try to match their story. You know, oh, well, that happened to me too. And that's not always bad, but sometimes I can try to then take over the conversation instead of listening to what, what they're saying to me and, and absorbing it and using this as a moment to get to know them. Um, I interject my own thoughts instead of listening. For many, I get this. This doesn't come naturally to you. And here's the thing. It's okay to have a plan. If you know you're going to sit and you're going to talk with somebody or you know you have the objective, I want to get to know this person a little better. It's okay to think through, what are some things that I can ask them? What are some things that I can share with them in my life? There's nothing unromantic about that or unnatural about that. That's just what many have to do. 
I think most of you just assume that because I'm a pastor and I stand up here and talk in front of people all the time that I'm a natural extrovert. I am not. The extrovertism that I have in my life, the ability to, to talk to people and have conversations is the work that the Holy Spirit's done in my life over the last 20 years. And I will every time give Him the, the credit for that. He has worked in such a way to help me to grow in all of these areas that I'm sharing with you. So I'm not standing up here as the person who loves to get up and stand in front of people and talk or, or loves to approach people that I don't know. My wife can attest that I'm not the person who loves to do those things. But I do love the people that Jesus loves and I know this is what is required of those people. It's what we have to grow in. It's what we have to do. But I will tell you this. I have experienced so much joy as I've put myself out there in faith time and time again to talk to people I don't know, to stand in front of people and teach that I don't know. Uh, it's a joy to do it, and the experience is joyful because it's the work that He's doing in me. It's the work that He desires to do through me, and the same is true of each and every one of you. Number six, have compassion during compassion is a force compassion is one of those words that 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 it's it's it moves us compassion is what moved Jesus towards the people time and time again and in many of those times they, they were times where Jesus wanted to be the introvert there were times where Jesus had moved away from the crowds and he just wanted to be alone. He wanted to pray. He wanted to spend time in communion with the Father. But then he would see all of the people and compassion moved him to go and greet them and teach them and heal them and serve them and honor them and minister to them and all of the things that he did. Time and time again, compassion drove Jesus. And it's compassion that moves us to enter into the life of the people that are sitting around us today. It's compassion that helps us remember their names. It's compassion that helps us remember the events and the circumstances that are going on in their lives. It's compassion that helps us remember the needs that are present in their life. Compassion is what grieves with those who grieve. Compassion is what rejoices with those who rejoice. That's what compassion does. And here's, here's the truth that I want you to understand. Compassion may require a notebook. Compassion may require you to, to write those things down so that you don't forget them. You can use your phone if you want to. You can use technology. Just type the name in and put, here's a couple of things that I learned about this person. Compassion may require those things. Compassion does whatever it takes to love people. We're not omniscient like Jesus was. He knew their name before they showed up. We don't have that advantage, and so compassion will move us toward those people. I want to mention one thing here, another thing on our website, and you're going to have a link that's going to come this week. Um, it was suggested that we have our membership directory, and I would encourage you online to, to go on there and make sure your information's correct. But also, there's the opportunity to put a picture there. And uh, some are trying to learn faces with names and make sure that they get those right. Uh, if you have a family picture or a picture of yourself, you want to take a selfie. You can do whatever you do. Uh, and you want, you want that to be uploaded with, with your name, your family's name. Uh, we're going to have a link where you can do that. You can go on the website right now and you can upload a photo and Aaron will get it connected. But through that link, you'll have an opportunity to do that as well. That will be helpful. That's one way you can love your brothers and sisters in this room. So that when they're like, okay, what's that guy's name? They can go and look, oh, that, that's him. That's the ugly one. That's the guy that I was thinking of, you know. Something like that. We'll pick that out. Number seven. Not only do we have compassion during the trials and the trouble of life, we also pray during those trials. As we discovered last week, James 5.16, it is very clear, it is a very direct command. Pray for one another. But I don't think James has in mind some general uh, bird's eye view prayer. I think he has the prayer in mind that is specific. 
The prayer in mind that's intimate. The prayer in mind that knows what's going on in a person's life. It's a knowledgeable prayer. It's a, I know this person, I love this person kind of a prayer. God, I desperately want to see you at work in their life. Jesus models this kind of prayer. John 16, his, or 17, his high priestly prayer is a very intimate prayer that he prays for his disciples. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we have to move beyond the I'll pray for you this week line to I'll pray with you right now. I want to pray with you right now. And what that does, it doesn't mean that you don't pray for them throughout the week. That makes a memorable moment for you that reminds you throughout the week to pray for that brother or sister in Christ. But prayer isn't the end of the loop either. The follow-up is, Right? We, we pray, we pray, and then we come back around and we say, what's God doing? How's the situation? And then we pray, pray, pray again, and we loop back around and we continue the conversation. Again, we're involving ourselves in the story of their life. And again, it's not disingenuous to have a notebook that can remind you of what you're praying for, who you're praying for. Number eight, be alert to Satan's devices. Love is vigilant. Love stands guard over the lives of other people. Love fights for others. And we have to realize that the people that, 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 that we're called to love, the very people that are around us, Satan, right here, right now, wants to sift them as wheat. There is a roaring lion seeking the people who are sitting around you. He wants to devour them. He wants to destroy them. That's the reality of the Christian life. We have to be alert and heed the commands that are given in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to ask you to just turn there with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul brings this battle, this spiritual battle that we face to light. Ephesians 6, we'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, because we're wrestling and we're in this fight, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication that to the end alert with all perseverance. That word alert, being vigilant, makes supplication for who? All the saints. This isn't just a task. The armor of God isn't just something that we do for us every day. It's something that we do for each other every day. Praying for each other. And also, Paul says, pray for me. He wants to be included in this. Pray for me that the words may be given to me uh, in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We pray for the benefit of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. I have grown so tired of watching Satan rip families apart. I've grown tired of watching him deconstruct the faith of people that I love. Some from a distance, some close. 
I've grown tired of people continuing to struggle with anger and slander and all of the things that we deal with, seeing addictions run people's life. We have to be watchful. Love compels us to watch out for each other. Because that's the thing that we learn and we're going to see in another text in just a moment. We're blind to sin. We get blindsided by it. We need other people to be on the lookout for us. I've always appreciated from another one of C.J. Mahaney's books on humility. He talks about the instance of being in the, the bagel shop and meeting somebody and he was eating a bagel and all of a sudden a clump of cream cheese got stuck to the side of his face. And his, his brother that he was meeting with said, hey, uh, you, got some, you got some cream cheese on your face. He couldn't see it. His eyeball doesn't look down that direction. He needed somebody else to point that out. That's the way sin works. It blinds us. We don't see it. We need other people who are vigilant, people that love us, who can speak into our lives. So we have to be watchful. And that leads us to the next point, number nine. Prepare to talk about sin. And some of you are saying, whoa, we went a long way from shaking somebody's hand and asking their name. You want us to talk about sin? Yeah. Notice that it doesn't say prepare to judge other people for their sin. Or, or prepare to gossip to other people about the sin that you see in somebody else's life. No, it's prepare to talk about sin. The sooner we all realize that, uh, that we're sinners, everyone in this room, that our anger, our, our slanderous words, our lying, our cheating, our worry, our addiction, all of that is sin. We are broken people living in a broken world. And we have to own that. And that, that does what? We're all on the same playing field. We're all in need of a Savior. Is sin bad? Yes. Mine's not any worse than yours, and yours is not any worse than mine. We have to be able to own our own sin and recognize that, yeah, the people sitting around me are sinners too. Their life is messy too. Sin disrupts their family too. We have to have that perspective before we can enter into the life of another person. We all sin. We have to talk about sin. Uh, Welch makes a great observation in this book that I, I thought was worthy of mentioning. He says, oftentimes when we find ourselves we, in these circumstances of life, we, we talk about our suffering. And that's how we frame it. We don't talk about our sin and the suffering. We just want to talk about the suffering. Like I'm going through this, this difficult time, and, and that's where we leave it. Pray for me in this difficult time. Instead of going beyond that and saying, I'm going through this difficult time, and you know what? I'm really angry right now. Or I'm really worrying right now. We stop short of what we need to share with people and where we really need the Spirit's help. Because God's got you in that point of suffering and He's got you there for a reason. Most of the time, it's to expose that sin of anger, that sin of worry. And all we want in the circumstances is relief. And so that's all we ask for. We say to people, hey, pray for me. It's a difficult week, going through suffering. And what are we asking them to do? Pray that God will take this thing away. When the reality is, what we need to ask them for is pray that my anger would be turned to peace and trust. Pray that my worry about these circumstances would turn to peace and trust. We're dealing with this very superficial stuff up here while the Spirit wants to deal with the true stuff that's going on inside of us. So we have to call sin, sin. Stop working around it. Let me just remind you from a few places in Scripture, and I'll go ahead and have you turn to these places with me. A little, little Bible drill. Galatians chapter 6. If you're the first one there, stand up and read. I'm just kidding. Galatians 6. Some of you don't know what I was just talking about. That's what they used to make us do as little kids in church. Galatians 6 verse 1. Here's what it says. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's another word for sin, if they're caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There's so much there. I'm not going to unpack it. We'll get to Galatians 6 probably like in November or something this year. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul does not say, Brothers, if you see somebody caught in sin, write me a letter and I'll write them a letter. No, he says, You who are spiritual, restore them. You. Writing to the church. Hebrews chapter 3. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with me. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care. Pay attention, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that is leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Challenge one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers, sisters, do this for each other. One more. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19. James 5.19 My brothers Now I did not notice this until just now. All three of these texts the author begins with the word brothers. You. Church. Your responsibility. He says my brothers if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What I want you to understand is this, that watching out for one another, being vigilant and watching for the roaring lion who's seeking whom he can devour and approaching one another and, and exhorting one another and restoring one another and bringing one another back, that's discipleship. That's what we're called to do. Jesus sets a great example of this up for us at the end of the Gospel of John. Peter denied him three times. Does Jesus just let Peter go? Does he say, Peter, yep, just go back to fishing? No, Jesus shows up on the seashore, cooks him breakfast, says, Peter, let's go for a walk. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? The tears flow. <laughs> he restores him. What an example he gives us of this kind of discipleship. And so let me offer a few words of counsel on this. We, we should see from these verses that, that very clearly we are called to talk about sin in the lives of one another. We're to talk about temptation that people are dealing with. Destructive patterns that we see in each other's lives. That is absolutely Absolutely, and I hope you can see this. These are not my words. I didn't write Galatians. I didn't write Hebrews, even though we don't really know who did. It could have been me, but it's not. And I did not write James. This is God's word. And the people who are sitting around you are your responsibility. But please notice that in this process that we're, we're walking through here, this is step nine. Right, this isn't step one. You've already established relationship with somebody. 
You've gotten to know them. You've spent time praying for them. You've engaged in their life. You don't start at step nine. You start at step one. And two. And three and four and so on. Also, we find in here a warning. You've got to do your own self-examination. Matthew 7. Get the log out of your eye before you deal with the sawdust in somebody else's eye. Be, be careful how you approach uh, Galatians. Uh, make sure that you're spiritual so that you're not entangled in the sin with them. Mm. On the flip side, and I say this from my own shamed experience, Oftentimes it's, it's those reasons like, oh, I've got such a beam in my eye that I can't address what's going on in their life. And I use that as an excuse. And then while I'm using that as an excuse, the roaring lion comes in and just rips their lives to shreds. watch others crash and burn making maybe two excuses maybe we say this maybe we say I've just got too much stuff I've got to work on before I can help them or maybe the excuse is I don't know them very well so I can't really speak into their life well both of those excuses are easily remedied if you've got some stuff in your life that you need to deal with you've got a log in your eye before you can help somebody else in a loving way and repent. Get rid of the log in your eye. Be open and honest and confess and seek forgiveness and then go and help your brother or sister in Christ. And, and the other one that we often make is I don't know them very well then get to know them. Stop delaying and enter into their world and introduce yourself and uh, start asking what you can pray for in their life and begin to build that relationship. Both easily remedied, but we consistently make these excuses. And while we're making excuses, Satan's having the party of all parties. Destroying another follower of Jesus. Number 10. Help fellow sinners. So when is it that we intervene? When is it that we involve ourselves in this world? Well, when we see people facing temptation. When, when we see others in sin, when others come to us and they disclose their, their sin and the struggle that's going on in their life, those are all open doors to enter in and to intervene. And, and those steps, honestly, this is like a, a whole sermon series in and of itself that I'm trying to just wrap up for you in this particular moment. A couple ways. You can wait because we will get here later this year. Or you can buy Welch's book side by side. Learn a little bit more about how you can do these things. But let me say this, if you don't help them, if you don't help them in the moment of temptation, if you don't rise up and help them in the moment of sin, if you don't help them when they come to you and say, I'm struggling in this particular area, who will? Because a sovereign God has allowed you to see something that maybe other people don't see. He's allowed you to be a witness to these circumstances and the Spirit is, is wanting you to enter their life, you to restore them. And that's what we're called to do. We observe, we enter their world. Don't ignore the providence of God. Number 11. Keep the story in view. Another way of saying this would be this. Keep the gospel story in view. That's, that's the story. We have to remember we're all sinners. We have to remember as we're working through life that we are all in need of Christ. He came to save sinners. And we have to remember this. The story's not over yet. It's not over. A couple of things that I'll warn about in this point. As you enter into the life of somebody and you're going to try to help them grow as a follower of Jesus, move forward as a disciple, you are not the Savior. The tendency sometimes is for us to think, well, I, I've got to help them work through this sin. I've got to help them atone for this sin. You don't. You're there to pray for them. You're there to point them to the Savior. 
And so when you may have the reasons in your mind, well, I just don't know what to say. There's a book of what to say. You don't come up with the words on your own. You don't write the gospel. You don't possess the good news in your brain that you conjured up and you're sharing. You get the good news from here. And you share Christ with people. And we remember that He doesn't always work on our timetable. The story that He's writing has a lot of ups and downs and twists. It's a pretty captivating narrative. But we remember and keep in mind the promise that He makes in Philippians chapter 1. That He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. They may want immediate results. You may want immediate results. But you're not the one writing the story. You're a part of the story. And we have to remember and keep the whole of the story in view. When we experience the mess of sin and suffering, oftentimes we just get tunnel vision. And that's all we see. We have to remember that our present suffering does not compare to the glory that's to be revealed in eternity. This is one slice, one sliver of this grand story that our God is writing through the work of Christ. So, this is an area we need to grow in as a church. All, all of these areas, we have to move forward in fellowship. Fellowship isn't eating dinner together in what, what has been called a fellowship hall. That, that's, that doesn't constitute fellowship. Fellowship is entering into one another's lives for the purpose of, of, of showing the love of Christ, of being the body that He has designed and put together. One temptation that, that we can face as a church, and uh, this is something we, we discussed a couple Wednesday nights ago, it was a good discussion, is, is to create some sort of ministry that will somehow magically make fellowship happen. Uh, you know, a lot of churches, and we've been here in the past, and we'll probably go here at some point in the future, have small groups. And the whole objective of small groups is we've got to capture fellowship. We've got to create fellowship. But you can't create fellowship just by putting some people together in a room. Fellowship has to happen organically. Fellowship has to happen as you say, you know what? I see it. I see if I'm going to truly love these people, then I've got to learn their name. If I'm going to truly love these people, I've got to pray for them on Tuesday and on Thursday. That's how fellowship happens. Let me give you a few specific challenges. Some of them review. Number one, walk in these doors with the intent of greeting Someone you don't know very well. And again, that, that means you, you, can't, you can't show up at 10.02 and then bolt at 11.27. You've got to give on one end. You've got to be able to respond on one end. You have to create space. And you have to create time for that to happen. Number two, leave here every week with the burdens of, of two or three people and pray for them throughout the week. Follow up with them throughout the week. You could send a quick text or an email. Again, all contact information for most of you is online. And you can, you can reach out to them that week and just say, hey, I've been praying for this. How's that going? You can follow up the next Sunday. Number three, you have, you have to invest in one another outside of this building. You have to invest in one another outside of this building. An hour and a half is basically what we spend together. And most of that spent you looking up here. And so we have to create means. You have to open up your home. You have to have people meet you at a, at a, at a coffee shop, at, at a restaurant. You have to dialogue through text or, or email or whatever messenger you want to use. Make it your goal to, to meet up with a, a person or a family just once a month. 
make it a deeper connection outside of the, the realm of this room. Four. One of the greatest ways that you can develop fellowship and get to know people is by involving yourself in ministry. By serving alongside other people. It creates a great opportunity to do that. If you, you serve at our community kitchen... What are you doing? For, for like three hours, you're around people uh, cooking things, burning things, cleaning things, having conversations, getting to know those people. It's a great opportunity to do that. Coming on a Wednesday night where it's not this, let's everybody just look up here, but you're, you're sitting around tables and you're having conversations. Serving in Awana. There's great opportunities when the kids, Jordan's screaming at the kids during game time. Uh, the workers are typically kind of around, some are helping, but others are getting to talk and they're getting to fellowship and they're having conversations about what's coming up this week. Join a missions trip. I think some of the, the deeper relationships that have been formed here happened on missions trips where you suffered together and traveled together and Experienced earthquakes and volcanic eruptions together. Chuck and Jeremy's spa night together <laughs> in Guatemala. We don't, we don't speak of that. Uh, it was very uncomfortable for the rest of us who were on that trip. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Make a meal for a family. Just take it over to their house. Greeting them at the door. Participating in a work day. I just, I, I think of the, the last work day we had. There were guys out here re-roofing this shed. And there was a group of guys that didn't necessarily know each other that well, but they were hammering together and slinging shingles together and doing that work together and getting to know each other in the process. There's so many opportunities to get to know one another comes down to this. All, all sermons, all encounters with Scripture comes down to this. We, we can either be hearers who nod our head and acknowledge these truths but never adjust our lives. Never do things that are uncomfortable that will upset our life. Or, or we can move forward and we can do these things. We can get out of the comfort of the boat, move towards Jesus, and walk on water. Sometimes it feels like that. Man, this is amazing. This, what God is doing is miraculous as we experience those things. We risk our comfort. We embrace the challenge because we love Jesus and we love His church, the church that He died for the church that he resides in and works through. We love none of you. I ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment. I realize there's a lot in here. We went from the shallow end to the deep end really fast. waves got big and I realized that that is some scary stuff we're talking about living life in such an intimate way with people but I also want you to realize that's exactly what scripture calls us to following Jesus is not easy following Jesus is a radical way of living but we do not follow Jesus alone we follow empowered by the spirit we follow with the people that he places around us the people as we read in 1 Corinthians that he chooses to place around us I don't know what commitments you need to make today I don't know where your love may be lacking I don't know what may be holding you back and you need to confess that that sin that weight and lay it aside but I do know this, some of you are missing out on the joy. The joy of following Jesus and moving forward in fellowship. And I want you to experience the abundant life that He promises us. So I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to let you pray for a moment before I pray for all of us.
Father, I pray that we would all begin with the initial steps today of just greeting each other. And I do pray, God, that that, that wouldn't happen out of, out of some guilt motivation. God, we don't want that. But I pray that it would, it would truly be the work of your Spirit, this, this love that would motivate us to greet each other, to pray for each other, to honor each other, to serve each other. Spirit, I pray that you would do that work, that, that my words in no way would hinder what you want to do, that, that it would not be my voice today that motivates us to move forward, but that it would be very clearly your Spirit, so that it's genuine and real, and so that we're not disappointed when it doesn't go the way that we, we thought it would go that we still trust and we still recognize that we're being obedient to what you've called us to do, to, the, to be the people that you've called us to be. So Spirit, I pray that you would bring that, that conviction and, and give us the empowerment to, to be obedient to your words. Today, this week, next Sunday, and that, that it would bring about a a full cultural shift in our congregation. And that when visitors come and outsiders look in, your conclusion would be, man, those, those have to be followers of Jesus. It's undeniable because they love each other with a self-sacrificing, self-giving, love. Spirit, we pray you would do that reviving work in us for the sake of this fellowship, for the sake of unity. Thank you for such an eager and attentive group that just loves to hear your truth and your word. It's such a blessing, God. And we just pray that you'd help us to do it now. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.